This is Joe Dancy with Texas A&M Law School, their online program. Thank you for joining the headline portion of the Crude Life podcast today. Also, we'll podcast this and post it as a separate interview. But today, uh, Joe Dancy, he's our energy expert and educator. We're talking about amid lower gas prices, natural gas prices, Chevron Appalachia to begin layoffs at Moon Headquarters is the headline we're talking about today. But Joe Dancy, he emailed me this morning and and reminded me that this is a topic that we talked about last fall. This is a topic I talked about last summer. And this is another one of those reasons why I do get an email from time to time calling me the shale play prophet. So anytime I can, you know, have a fun nickname, I gotta, I gotta have some fun in the world again. So we've not had fun in the energy industry for a little while, and it's looking like uh, there's going to be some tough times again coming up. Uh, Joe, talk to me about what you are seeing in the tea leaves and what we've been talking about with this layoff issue with the Appalachia uh, Chevron deal here. Well, Jason, uh, we, yeah, we think we talked last October or November, and you mentioned during the interview that, and I hadn't thought about it, we were just talking about oil prices and gas prices and oversupply of gas, and you mentioned, gee, after the first of the year, you think there's going to be a lot of uh, downsizing in the industry, and I, I hadn't crossed my mind, of course, being a professor, I really don't, you know, I'm teaching the legal and the economic and the technology end of things, so I really don't think about that and you have much better contact with the industry and the industry people and should be in North Dakota also with the energy industry than I have here in Dallas. Dallas is pretty diversified and thinking about it though and when looking at it it's you were exactly right after the first of the year things of all my you know I have quite a few friends who are title attorneys title attorneys for those of you who are not familiar you know before you drill an oil and gas well you need to go out and figure out who owns the, the property I have a, quite a few friends that are landmen landmen you know, get out make the deals they get the leasing they do the curative and all of them you know, started telling me in December it's like Joe you know the drillings disappeared the con you know every the interest has disappeared and of course my my comment to them as well wait till after the first of the year because people will you know feel better you'll get better capital expenditures approved by the board of directors and they'll drill a few more wells and um don't worry too much of course it's easy for me to say you know sitting in my university chair and not having to worry about the uh, the overhead and and uh clients and collections and drilling activity and uh essentially the um you were exactly right the drilling you know drilling right now is down 25 percent from a year ago in the united states and i don't know how north dakota is going but i know oklahoma has fallen from gee, a little more than a year ago they were drilling 150 wells we're drilling and now there's like 50 and texas has dropped off significantly too we're still number one north dakota is still hanging in there i think you have quite a few rigs running but not, you know nothing like texas it's it's uh and I'm sure it's fallen off because, I mean, when you look, I mean, you mentioned in the opening statement, um, natural gas prices now are, I think, I, I think I saw this on the Energy Information Administration website. Uh, I think uh, gas prices, natural gas prices are at like 10-year lows. And it's, and I was telling my students, you know, when you're running a lot of this natural gas, or at least historically has been used for electrical generation, and when your fuel costs go from, you know, $2.50 a thousand cubic feet to a dollar eighty if you're buying on the spot market. I go, that means electricity. These electricity companies are you are you your your profit your electricity costs are not going up and your 
ability to generate and make a profit. If you get cheap fuel, that's the biggest thing that goes through a generating plant is the fuel. And so uh, it's real positive. Unfortunately, you know, God, we have all this flaring in Texas and flaring in North Dakota, and it's creating some real industry issues. In fact, it is interesting. The last week I was at Professor Coleman at SMU. One of my colleagues did a talk on flaring at the uh, was at the below mansion to the dallas bar association energy group there was it was standing room only i've never seen that in 20 years of going to these meetings we have never had standing room only people were like just they were um you know what do we do when prices of natural gas are you know a dollar 75 and we don't have the pipelines and he goes you know he was talking about and you're probably familiar with this in north dakota too you know negative natural gas prices at the wellhead and it's why is it negative it's like well there's no market for it and there's no pipeline so that you actually have to pay these guys you know to take your gas which i think is pretty interesting um, which creates all sorts of issues, but one of those is like you let off here. Is, you know, if you have if you have such low returns on oil and natural gas, you know, do you need to drill this many wells? And you you take twenty five percent of the wells or two hundred to three hundred wells. I mean, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of frack crews. That's a lot of landmen. That's a lot of title attorneys. And you run that through the economy, and it is it is brutal. And it's. Uh, it's difficult for me because I know my students and my ex-students who have been out there for a while and God, I've been teaching oil and gas law now for 35 years. It's, you know, they're contacting me. It's like, well, Professor Dancy, do you know any openings? And it's like, well, unfortunately, if you're a landman or title attorney, I really, things are really slowed down. And it's, you can't, you can't generate title work if there's those wells being drilled and i and you can't blame these companies because i mean you do you know you have an obligation to your investors whether they're shareholders or whether they're they're private individuals or whether they're endowments um you know to get a return and so when you get a dollar 80 gas and and actually jason i think um oil prices in the futures market just broke below 50 dollars which you know a week ago or two weeks ago or a month ago was like 58 which when you're getting $58 a barrel, that's just about you can you can be a viable entity for most companies now with the shale cost, et cetera. But when you get down below 50, it's brutal. And I mean, I told my students yesterday, you know, what you're going to see if this virus and if the demand continues to impact, you know, globally, the demand for oil, if you get oil prices below $50 a barrel for any length of time, it's going to devastate North Dakota. It's going to devastate Texas. Of course, they're most interested in Texas and devastate Oklahoma. And, and Oklahoma is a very energy centric state. Texas is a little bit more diversified. And the good news in Texas, we have a bunch of refineries. You know, one thing North Dakota does not have and one thing they should have. I know you guys are looking to build a new refinery, which I think is, a, in my opinion, is a great idea because it essentially would utilize a lot of that natural gas and a lot of your assets there and and uh and actually be much more stable when you have oil low oil prices you your refinery still operates which keeps the economy spinning out there in western um western north dakota but uh but it's brutal and i don't know what to, and i know in houston a month ago they there was other uh, there was announcements also with regard to a number of larger companies uh shutting down and in oklahoma city and elk city i think uh the halliburton shut down and laid off 500 people and I mean, you don't you don't if you're not fracking and drilling wells you know why do you need why do you need uh, service companies uh, to 
to log and the frack and the analyze and so it's a uh, it's it, but you and I have been we're old enough to know it's a cyclical business I mean my concern is going forward why would you look to the energy sector to you know for employment other than you know if you just really needed a job and uh, you know to me I got in it because I loved it I love mining I love resource extraction I think you're adding to global prosperity prosperity of these small towns a lot of these if you like rural areas and i love rural areas you can you know live in you know western north dakota and and have a good living and you know essentially enjoy the outdoors but um but with the current price cycle for almost everything natural gas oil um prices coal prices over the last decade or you know it's tough to allocate capital to these businesses when you know, you can you can invest in uh, Tesla, which you know is not profitable, but the you know the stock has done. I mean, I think it's done relatively well, or some other, you know, solar energy companies or the like. So it's sort of interesting. It's interesting to see, and it's uh, and, but but I will say, you know, you brought this up last October and November, the the slowdown, and I hadn't I hadn't really thought about it. And, so here's the, here, here's here's how my mind works, and um, I do believe that the energy industry is in some serious crossroads and that's one of the reasons why the crude life has stepped up and decided to be a little more vocal because in the past we were a little bit more of a, a content creation and just industry news that type of thing but now we're getting a little bit more advisory and active because we've been lambasted and a lot of people have scoffed at us for the past three four years well where we're at now today a lot of people are now using our interviews from three four years ago to try to figure things out because Yes, I did mention this last October and November, and I kept saying it because of these reasons. When you have Halliburton's layoffs, Whiting's layoffs, I think Chevron had some layoffs, Anadarko had some layoffs. I mean, just those four companies off the top of my head was 1,200, 1,400 workers. So you start doing the math on that and do the reverse ripple. How many of those guys stopped at the convenience store every day and got a couple breakfast sandwiches and Red Bulls, okay? Because that's gone now. How many of those guys that got laid off are using their severance check? How many of those guys are dipping into their 401k? How many of those, how many of those guys and girls, sorry, guys being the old, <laughs> oh, boy, I showed my age there. Why don't I just go, I should just go tape something instead of record it, right? Go tape it. Um, anyway, that's, that's, that shows your age too. But the workers out there, think about it. They're going to use their severance. They're going to dip into their 401ks. There's, there's, a system set up to bridge them financially for anywhere from six months to two months to some cases a year. Well, when those start running out in this summer, a lot of that will run out. Okay. That's going to be an issue. A lot of these men and women that are used to making $80,000 a year are now making 30 to $40,000 a year. Those do not even get recorded at all in any statistic that I'm aware of. And those are real problems. When a household is used to making $100,000 a year and now they're making $40,000 a year, you have new stress like you've never imagined before because you have numbed yourself into just going through the motions to make life work, okay? That's what's going on in the industry right now. And you mentioned um, the, the meeting with the protests. I'm sorry, the, the meeting with the flaring and everything. To me, that's, that's the industry. This has been an issue for five years. And now they show up to a meeting to react to what's already going on. I mean, guys, this has been going on for a while. 
And the reason we don't have pipelines in place is because every time you try to put a pipeline in or a refinery, you got to go through one to three years of litigation now. That's the new normal is that you got to go through one to three years of litigation before you can get that, that pipeline and infrastructure in place. And that is because of this rise against fossil fuels with the environmental movement. So there's a lot of different, uh, I call them arrows of issue being shot at the energy industry right now. And I just, you know, threw a couple out there. But when you think about it, there always is a silver lining in all of this. There always is because back when energy was at 40 bucks, what was that about five years ago, 14, 15, something like that in 2014, 15, when the downturn came or 15 and yep. 16, I think it was, um, Back then, a lot of the industry uh, uh, leaders who were getting paid and a lot of elected officials who were getting paid kept spouting positivity. Hey, we're, we're remaining positive through this downturn and everything else. Well, that doesn't help the other, pro the, the other people who have real problems because they're not getting paid. Like you said earlier, the rig counts are down and what does that do to the service companies and everything else? So there are some real issues going on, however, in my little microcosm of North Dakota, back when um, it was 40 bucks a barrel, we were still drilling a million barrels a day. So there is still some business out there. You just got to figure out how to make a better steak sandwich than the other guy. And sometimes that takes education. And a lot of jobs available in North Dakota right now are related to the energy industry. They are not in the energy industry, but they're related to the energy industry that has to do with IT and artificial intelligence and all kinds of different things. So you have to go back to school, like what you are offering with your services, Mr. Joe Dancy, which is, you know, come and get educated, get masters and get all kinds of things. I, I could see where Texas really is going to be a big winner in the education world. And I, I, I know this because I've been very active with North Dakota State and the University of North Dakota. You know how involved the in, uh, industry is with the educational facilities in North Dakota. You've seen it firsthand. I mean, our library is up at UND across on the east side of the state where we don't have an oil well, but our entire Harold Ham Laird library is there. And, and so I could see where... Texas gets all kinds of people to get re-educated because the Permian is going to be 70% of the oil and gas activity for the next 20 years. That's, that's what all the experts have said for the last 10 years. And, that, and 10 years ago, they were saying 30 years. But so now we just say we're like 20 years. But 70% of the oil and gas activity out of the United States is projected to come out of the Permian. So I could see where Texas, I mean, Joe, you could get an influx of people down at uh, A&M there that really could get re-educated because right now we are in a phase of energy where we have to reinvent and reimagine energy. All right. Now I just spoke for 10 minutes after you spoke for 10 minutes. I'll hand the baton off to you. <laughs> well, thanks, Jason. Yeah, actually, it's really interesting. As you know, that, and we've been around long enough. I mean, technology continues to evolve. I mean, who would have People weren't, when we, everybody first went up to the Balkan, people were just amazed. It's like, geez, the shale, that's not going to work. And of course, you know, you mentioned Her Harold Ham went up there and he made it work. And some of the other companies that, uh, and originally, I mean, originally it was difficult, but they, you know, they figured it out. And I, it's interesting you mentioned, um, I had, um, had a, a lunch with a good old friend. He's like 68 years old. He's a petroleum engineer 
Columbia University, my engineering degree also. And he's go he was going down to Houston for the week and he was he told me he's going down. I go, What are you going to Houston for? And he goes, I'm taking a seminar on big data. Because he goes, Joe, what's happening is you really don't need petroleum engineers anymore and you really don't need you know, even geologist or landman, he goes, if you have access to big data and understand everything, and of course, I have, as a lawyer, I really don't understand all the details, but he was telling me how when you get all the data that they get when they drill a well now, really, you can almost drill and design a well by computer. You don't need a petroleum or drilling engineer to design it if you have the data and you just use historical anomalies i guess is what they're using i I didn't again i i probably misdescribing what big data is but i do know no you're exactly right no you're exactly right and there are classes that in their engineering classes for you know get you know come for a week and of course they're they're not cheap jason it's like geez you know you're paying you know four thousand dollars to go down to houston for a week to learn about computer science essentially he goes that's exactly right he goes because he goes i'm he's pretty much half retired now and he goes but i realized if i'm going to be relevant in this industry i need to re-educate myself on big data and he goes i still hope and he's still a consultant with a number of folks and actually helps me in my classes he comes in and lectures a couple times um every semester on two potential either in the business school or at the law school and he comes in and talks about you know guys as a you know, if you're going to go work in the industry, here's some basic uh, technology that you need to know about. And it is interesting because, I mean, Lord knows that, you know, we've gone from – and this guy's that we were – I was speaking with him or he was speaking at some of my programs back in the, in the 90s and actually early 2000s about horizontal drilling. And everybody at the time was like he'd come in and do a presentation in horizontal drilling and everybody's like, well, God, that's pretty – that's like, you know, sending a, a spaceship to Mars. And, you know, sure enough, you know, um, uh, Mitchell Energy and uh, Harold Hamm and everybody else figured out horizontal drilling in the in the 2000s and uh, and uh, the early 2000s and you know, five or five or 10 years after he was talking about it. And, and that's where we went. And uh, now the problem is going forward is unlike the previous um god the last 10 years it's been a frenzy and i show my students i go up until about 2005 i mean the barnett shale uh here in dallas and and actually in fort worth i mean it was it was a drilling frenzy back in in the uh you know 2005 to 2010 and because of the technology and now there isn't a you know there might be one rig out there because gas prices though the gas is still there i tell the students i go i know exactly where the gas is because they have all these old logs from the wells that were drilled out there so you drill you know seven thousand two hundred feet down then you drill horizontally for five thousand feet and i could tell you the water temperature is about 197 degrees fahrenheit and they're all looking at me i could tell you the natural gas you know the quality is like just over a thousand btu for you know, it's like when I look at it, tell them, how do I know that? Well, I know that because it's a, it's a, just like the Balkan, you, it's a consistent reservoir, but the technology has gotten so much better. So I can drill the well probably in a third of the time. And, and, uh, unfortunately the price of natural gas 10 years ago was much higher. I mean, it's at least double than, uh, what it is, which is hard to believe Jason. I mean, think about that. I mean, you're getting, you know, you're, you become much more efficient, but the prices come down so much. And probably, I guess that's the law of supply and demand. My, 
economist professor buddies tell me it's like joe we're in an age of and this is something else to think about we're in an age of oversupply now versus when you and i grew up and when we had you know dr hubbard in uh, the shortage and we're going to be short oil we're going to be short coal we're going to be short everything and so uh, it was the age of scarcity, and so you you develop this technology, and now everybody thinks we're in an age of abundance, and uh, we are to a certain extent. But I would I think it's gone overboard that viewpoint, you know, versus the other viepoint that we're in we're shortage. We're we're not going to have enough natural gas. We're not going to have enough oil. But I don't this get this. I I never understood the argument that there's not a market for the natural gas because there is a market. My understanding yep. is Mexico is salivating and just waiting for what we're waiting on is the pipes is, is the right. infrastructure and the infrastructure. The reason we're waiting on them is because of the environmentalists is my understanding is that because of the litigation that it takes to put in a pipeline and because now the banking industry is even being affected by the rise of climate change and environmentalists, the myth of all that, that they're now making energy companies get certified as ESG, Environmental Governing um, Social, it's uh, ESMP, what is it? It's uh, Meridian Energy just got, there's, there's two acronyms are relatively new, but it has to do with being an environmental steward, a, a, right. a government uh, co a coexister and a social you know, type of a person, social uh, community person. And everything that, in my opinion, that the energy industry has been. Now, I get it. Petrochemicals are not environmentally friendly i get it but at the same time they're using their resources to make the area better than when they came so to speak so um it's like to me it's no different when you go burn a campfire guess what that is one of the worst things you can do for the environment in fact huh. Ca california was thinking about outlawing them two years ago okay so Go, all you hippies if you want to go out and kumbaya around the campfire you're actually causing more more pollution than driving. So there you go, buddy. Um, get, sorry, but sorry, I just had to uh, get out. I wanted to get back to a comment you made about education because I used to joke to a lot of people in technology that, uh, and, it, and it became true, that you know, you're actually going into a major that's not gonna be around in four years, or you're actually going into a major to put yourself out of business. And that's what big data really is, is, it's it's these people have spent 10 years putting data into a big centralized computer that they've essentially put themselves out of a job. But that doesn't mean that there's not other jobs. They just, you know, it shifts and ebbs and flows and you got to reinvent yourself because right now the industry is being re reinvented. Let's not forget John Gibson from One Oak, Harold Hamm from uh, uh, Continental Resources, James Volker from Whiting and some other CEOs we're on this very program talking about the paradigm shift in oil and gas, okay? Now, those guys, the reason I say their names is not to name drop, it's to say when your CEO and chairman of your board is going on media and saying there's a paradigm shift, you should probably listen because these guys are not chucking jivers. These guys cannot go out and say things that are not true or they're going to get sued by the shareholders, they're going to get sued by some attorney, or they're going to get sued by some competition watching them. So when they're coming out and saying there's a paradigm shift, think about it. What you said is true. 
Most of these energy companies know exactly where the oil is. In North Dakota, it's all a price play. It's all a price play. When the dollar hits a certain amount, they can go put a rig in XYZ. How far is it from the core? The stuff in the core, they can drill from 30 to 40 bucks, but that's going away. So they need to get it to the 60 to $80 range to make it actually viable again. Texas, the same way. You guys started recording. I mean, in the Bakken, they did it since, since the 50s. They started recording the data. And, and when you start recording the data of all the core samples, that's how you put together the knowledge that you were talking about earlier, about the temperature, you know exactly where everything is. And that's big data, again, layering in everything. So at the tip of your fingertips, you can get it in a snap. So think about that. That's happening on the drilling side. That's happening on the human resources side, for crying out loud. Just doing a background check now. Imagine what that was like 30 years ago. Trying to figure out if your roustabout has got a felony or not in Alaska, okay? Good luck. That'll take six months to get that information today. Snap of a snap of a finger. So big data's changed that. I have said for over three years now, the energy industry needs to reinvent itself in PR. And I still believe that today. I still see the industry reacting. The new Green Deal is winning against the shale new deal at nape they introduced the shale new deal which i thought was not a very good idea because it validated the green new deal that's all you did was you validated it and the amount of money that was spent on pr over the last 10 years on madison avenue and all the top level people this and that and everything and you're getting beat by a 16 year old girl running around the running around the globe talking about climate change come on we can do better than that we can do much better than that. At least I think I could. I mean, I, I, I think there's, that's when the industry needs to kind of be shaken up a little bit and understand this is a paradigm shift. So we are gonna need new majors. You mentioned petroleum engineers, that never even crossed my mind. You're right. The whole engineering world is changing because it's computerized. Every time one of those drones goes up and gets all the information it needs via LIDAR and whatever technology they got nowadays, it gets into big data. And all of a sudden now going forward, you got that information. That's why things are changing so much. And it's exciting, but it's scary. I don't know. Your comment, well, Joe it, Dancy. <laughs> yeah, and you need the uh, education to keep up with just drones, drones regulation. That's the interesting deal. I, actually, I, yeah, and you know, we've talked about this, Scott, for the last two years. I've we had a bunch of drone projects where we went out to West Texas, et cetera. And one of the issues, Jason, that you have is, you know, it, it, a drone generates all sorts of data, depending on what type of sensors you have, thermal sensors, you have visual, you can check for methane, you can check for, and the question is, as a company or a consultant, I mean, is that, you know, what data do you keep? How do you digitize it? I mean, they talking to the, and I've talked, I've worked with a number of the regulatory agencies. In fact, I spoke at a drone conference for the Interstate Oil and Gas Compact Commission with about uh, six other speakers from, you know, different, the rest of them, all the attendees were like 35 different producing states, and we had six other speakers. They were all working for agencies. And as a state agency, you know, generally one of the problems you have is you, you are limited as to the amount of data that you can keep. Because, I mean, you have just, gobs and gobs of data and you don't just use one drone you have a drone in each district so you capture all this data and it's like well what do you keep what do you get rid of how long do you keep it 
do you use it for regulatory proceedings? You know, and if it's in a regulatory proceeding, how do you verify that, you know, the methane that you indicate that's, you know, illegally being vented or, or being vented legally but should be reduced or whatever the issues are? You know, how do you quantify that based on the machine? Uh, and, you know, these are sort of legal, they're also technical questions because and a lot of the regu- regulators said, you know, we really, at least at this point, I did not talk to the North Dakota regulators, so I'm not going to get you in hot water for saying this, but a lot of the regulators that I talked to said that, yeah, Joe, we generally do not, we will not fly a drone over an operation without the operator's permission, telling them that we're flying it over, we want your permission, here's what we're going to measure. And if the operator says no, they go, we, you know, we'll generally go back. And if there's an issue, we'll go in you know, the old way. We'll get a, we'll send them a letter and show up in a pickup truck with our handheld uh, deal. Because you know, 99% of the time, you know, the operator says, sure, we'll be happy to, you know, let you fly over and take this data. And you know, with the ops, with the observation that gee, if you find anything, please let us know because we will immediately correct it. We don't. Because a lot of these operators, as you know, a lot of the operators, they want to cooperate. They want to do what's right, and they want to comply with regulations. And even if it's not regulations, if you have excess methane emissions, and the state regulators point that out, it's like, well, gee, you know, this stuff is valuable. It's capturable, and it's also a huge greenhouse gas emission issue. And so, um, you know, this is this this works, and it's all again part of the education process, part of the evolving technology process, and. It's pretty exciting, but who would you know, who would have dreamed? And I, I didn't even, like I say, talking to this petroleum engineer who's been, again, he's 68. He's been around for for ages. Uh, says, you know, petroleum engineers. He goes, pretty much are are you really don't will not need them anymore because of the data, and and or at least you'll need much fewer because because when when he worked in Ohio, actually Ohio and Pennsylvania, uh, for some of the natural gas plays, uh, got about seven or eight years ago, and then. Uh, came back and has been working uh, the Permian Basin, and he said, you know, they used to come to me and want me to help design, you know, the drilling and production profiles or whatever the petroleum engineers do and figure out reserves. And he goes, now, you you know, you might have need, you might have had three or four petroleum engineers. It was a major company he worked for. And he goes, now you just, you might need one, and it's, they'll be, they're more of a data scientist, and, and, uh, and you present all that stuff to management. And, again, it, it all goes also to the finance folks, which you pointed out. You know, when you have um, a number of folks um, essentially trying to restrict investment in the sector, whether they're banks, whether they're investors, whether they're endowments, um, I, and I will, let me share this with you. At the Fleuring Seminar, one of the people there um, was raising money for, and this is their fourth, um, this is their fourth um, program that they put together. They've never had a program before. Uh, that has not filled, and they got they got like seven investors, and it's a it's a relatively low risk type of oil and gas development play. And one of the um, investors in the late, latest deal pulled out, and it was a university endowment. And he said, "What happened is the university endowment agreed to invest based on the earlier parameters, etc." And when it came up, it was a public meeting where they announced that they were looking at investing in this. I won't say the company, but so and so you know, production company, uh, he goes, a bunch of protesters showed up and it's never happened before. And the endowment board said, we're not going to invest. And so they pulled their, so he goes, now we have one open slot in our program number four because a bunch of people showed up. And of course it's a public university. And I won't say it's a university that if I told you the name, you would recognize it. 
Uh, it's a very large university, very well respected. But you know, they decided that the heat of investing, even though the return is it's a low risk, uh, really really good return, um, because it's fossil fuels. Um, and here's the thing: is I said, well, hell, maybe you ought to put you know, a couple solar panels out there on your production equipment and call it a solar facility. And you know, the endowment would would uh, you might have those issues. And of course, that that was a joke, but it really is not a joke because. There's an incredible amount of capital misallocation going on because See, of the that, villainization of the the carbon industry. So, that's where I would have pointed my finger. I would have interrupted the meeting and said, "That man's using his melon right there." Let's let's go with that idea because because <laughs> that, that that's what would have sold. <laughs> Just kind of all right. Let's let's flesh that idea out over there where we can call ourselves that because that seems to be what people like. But. Right. Uh, anyway, I had to I'd jump in because looking at the clock, we've got to get run into our, our next interview and next appointment here. And I got to get the kids to school and all that different stuff like that. And um, we'll, we'll be talking down the road here quickly. But thank you for joining us today. Wanted to make sure we talked about that layoff talk and some other things. And um, give yourself a quick plug how people can get in touch with you, find you, hire you for conferences and all kinds of different things. Yeah, if they're interested, just get just drop me a line. I, I'm in, I speak on a whole bunch of energy topics, and I'm at Texas A&M Law School. And uh, you, you just Google me or get on LinkedIn, you'll find me. And if you're interested in your online energy program, it's a master's in law. You don't need to be a lawyer. You just have, need to have an undergraduate degree in something. And it's an online program, so you can do it. You can take this program in Bismarck, North Dakota, and probably pass at the front of the class. And you probably would because you'd understand a lot about energy from working in the industry up there. So thanks. Thanks, Jason. Have a good day up there.